good evening, Poe fans, and welcome back to Poe Discussions with Carmen and Jeannie. And hey, hey, Jeannie. Yo, I'm right here. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready as well, everybody. All right. I am Carmen Bolden. And I'm Jeannie Smith. And we are, we are the, the Potastic Two. Two. All right. Take and a breath and say it. We're getting closer. Oh, I thought that was actually much better than normal. <laughs> <laughs> really anyway, bad when we can't do it in the same room, but you know. Absolutely. So we have a very special guest this evening, and her name is Catherine Bab Magura. And Catherine, if you would love to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, like you said, I'm Catherine Bab Magura. I'm a writer and a journalist. Uh, in the last couple of years, I've contributed to the Wall Street Journal, Slate, CNBC, NBC News, um, a number of business publications. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, here's the Poe Connection. I had a book come out and it was about Edgar Allan Poe. It's a semi-satirical uh, self-help book based on his life and work. And it's called Poe for Your Problems, Uncommon Advice from History's Least Likely Self-Help Guru. <laughs> People can't hear this, but you're showing the uh, book in the yeah, <laughs> Take the glare off. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Um, yeah, so that came out just a couple of years ago, and I'm a Poe obsessive. I guess that and that we're all Poe obsessives. That's why we're here, right? That's right. That's exactly right. So tell us a little bit about your book. Sure. Um, you know, the funny thing is that this is a kind of a, it's listed in the humor section at Barnes and Noble. Like if you want to find the, it's the only Poe work in the humor section at Barnes and Noble. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. But honestly, it came from a dark place. Maybe we all come to Poe like this, but I had been a fan as a kid. Uh, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, where he is from too, as fans will know. And I read a lot of him as a kid. We get him in third and fourth grade here. You know, I can re remember. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, you get real early. And like, I think a lot of it went over my head in terms of the violence and the darkness, but it did appeal to me too. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I had a big phase with him then. And then uh, as an adult, I came back after, you know, it was just a dark period in my life. And I suddenly got this urge to start reading him again. And I went down a complete rabbit hole and I just wow. I read the library of America editions and those are just thousands of tissue thin pages, but I could not get enough. Mm -hmm. He was really speaking to me at that point. And I started to slowly develop this thought, uh, as I, especially as I dug into his letters and the biographies, just that he's an amazingly brave person. He obviously is a very flawed person too, mm -hmm. but he stood up in the face of so much tragedy, professional disappointment, all sorts of disappointment, basically every variety he experienced it. No mm -hmm. one would choose to live his life. It was just so, so tremendously sad and disappointed. And yet while all this was going on, he produced this body of work that we all love. And that is now famous the world over and has been translated yeah. into every major language. And I know. Um, it's a stunning example of strength in the face of adversity. Even I know that sounds cheesy, but it really did strike me that way at this moment when I was struggling. Mm -hmm. As you have that thought, you start coming across uh, people in history who've had the same one. And I think Poe is kind of an unspoken hero for a lot of people. Um, and certainly yeah. the French have always read him this way. Uh, his French translator, uh, Charles Baudelaire, uh, had the same kind of epiphany I did, but then wrote about it in, a, in a, just a spectacular fashion. His essays on Poe are unbelievable. They are, yes. And yeah, he, we discussed him 
with Baudelaire before. So yeah, we understand. Yeah, last season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fatal Destinies is stunning. I wish I could re- read it in the original. I'm reading it in translation. Um, but yeah, so I, Baudelaire, but then so many others, like I, y'all have probably come across Daniel Hoffman's Po, 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 Po from 1972. Um, and a number of other memoirs, you just come across this all the time of writers who are inspired by him and kind of mm-hmm. had the same reaction. Years ago, I heard um, the writer of Mrs. Poe, that big novel that came out a couple of years ago. For some reason, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, that one I don't think I'm as familiar with. That doesn't sound as familiar. She was doing the keynote at a Poe thing I was at. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, she had a big publisher and the book did very well. Like you could buy it in Target kind of thing. Okay. She just described her. Uh, she was in a dark place in her life. All of a sudden, she started reading Poe again. She re- ended up writing a novel about one year of his life, 1845. Okay. It's interesting to find uh, that all the, so many other people have had this experience and it also makes you a lot less lonely to come across this mm-hmm. and it's a community of people who feel the same way. Um, and it spurred my own writing. I read an essay about it initially, and that went kind of viral, um, arguing this case about seeing Poe in this particular way. Okay. And that I was able to sell the book on the back of the popularity of the article. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I kind of think it's, it's not ironic. It's very Poe-like that this childhood kind of friend helped me achieve what I was hoping to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, so that's really much all. That's, that's really amazing. And, you know, you're not the first person to talk about, you know, I can't kind of came to Poe as an adult, you know, in a darker place and things like that. I think a lot of us do just because, especially if you know Poe, you know about his life, you can kind of connect with him in so many different ways based on genres he wrote or just his, his life in general. Definitely. And as we've discussed in different ways and different places uh, over the years, is just like what you experienced is as we've grown up, we've changed, we've gone through our own different traumas and things in life. And his stories affect us differently in different times of our life. Yes. And so each one of his, you know, articles, whether it are each one of his short stories, his poems, you know, his one book, which I have yet to get through yet, but (laughs) it's, it's, you know, each thing is, he was so versatile, you Mm -hmm. know, he he had that versatility and he had that touch with psychology that we didn't realize that we identified with so much and in so many different ways and something that we may not have understood as you said, like when you were what third and fourth grade, I think I first met him when I was around fourth and fifth. Is when I first started mm-hmm. reading his stuff, and you just don't experience that thing. You you hear it, you think, oh, it's cool. It's about you know an animal or something like that, and that that triggers something uh, about how it gets you attention. But as you get older and you experience things in life, it's you see Poe for. A whole different, um, as a whole different person. I mean, completely. I said in that original essay, like you just never step in the same Poe River twice, you know, because you're bringing new experiences to it, and it's a kind of re-introspecting 
you reread him at various points, I mean, some of the stories just strike you so differently. Like the big example in my mind is The Pit and the Pendulum, which I read as a kid and I took to be just kind of a horror thriller adventure kind of story about the Spanish Inquisition. You read that story as an adult and it's extremely clear, at least to to me, Mm -hmm. that he's talking about psychological pain. Absolutely. Condition. And uh, the fact that he's able to work on both those levels, and he talked about it in his letters too, like he described his artistic methods, as y'all know, like mm-hmm. about how he thought that uh, if you have two, level of me- two levels of meanings, that's the best case scenario, but you can never really allude to it completely directly. And I just, yeah. the fact that he pulls that off in that story, and again, and again, and again, and again, in so many different stories, this is an incredibly inspiring example as an artist of like someone who's able to achieve this commercial vision at the same time that he's saying something so profound and lasting and universal. Um, mm-hmm. so it's tremendously inspiring. Um, the other thing that I find interesting about reading him as an adult, and I'd be interested to see if y'all, uh, if this resonates with you, mm-hmm. I never read him um, as a satirist when I was a kid. And I'm not even talking about the direct humor pieces. I mean, yeah. the Gothic stories, I take at least parts of them to be satires. Where it's so over the top, it's almost like hysterical laughter when you laugh at something that's so awful. Mm-hmm. I I have a very dark sense of humor, but I love. We, it. we do too. You kind of know that you're going to have that in common. Um, oh yeah, because I like if I'm reading one of Poe's stories, uh, you know, for just entertainment or you know research or whatever if i'm in the other room and my husband is in the other room um i might like laugh out loud at something and he's like you know oh are you reading one of you know the funnier stories of poe and i'm like no just dark humor you know that comes out from a horror one of the horror stories or whatever and so yeah no i i totally get it but i didn't necessarily get that as much as a younger, a young, you know, adult kind of thing, like around sixth grade or so. So yeah, I, I totally get that. Well, and even in high school, I don't think we could have completely understood the, the whole satire of yeah. what he drew was, you know, what he truly wanted to get. And it just comes along like we've been talking about it with age, with yeah. experience, with everything else. And then you I mean, I'm sorry, I've developed more of a dark humor as the older I get than I had, you know, years ago, which I have to say that, yes, I had the dark humor when I was in high school, too. Yeah, it was just developed even further from there. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, and Lynn Cullen is the one that wrote she was a great speaker and i Uh haven't read the novel but i was really moved by her story yeah i'm i'm writing this i I always keep a notebook and pen with me whenever we do interviews because we find so much information out i always write notes and then Jeannie and i go back to those kinds of things so thank you for that (laughs) and i was reading a little bit about how she came about writing this story Mm -hmm. and it sounds like it's very interesting and something to read Okay. So it it has you know, and that's the one thing about all the different people that we meet that we all may be po um fanatical is mm-hmm. what I like to call it, po fanatical. We all may be some type of po fanatical, but at the same time, we all have such different inspirations and different, you know, takes yes. on things that it just makes us more 
integrated and interconnected. Yeah. And totally. you know, and I think with Poe's writing, that is the epitome of him. Yeah. Because he was very good about dry, you know, whether it be dry humor, dark humor, whether it be um anything with love or hate. I mean, come on, you can't have one without the other. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was a, such a multifaceted writer, which again, I feel like a kind of prof- professional admiration. Like I'll never get there, but I admire it so much. Absolutely. Like, oh, I have some sense of how hard that is and how yeah. smart you have to be and how good you have to be and how much craft you have to like have concentrated on. Maybe we all have that reaction because of those reasons, but yeah. Yeah, just my admiration uh, grows. So in combination with like the strength of his character and standing up in the face of so much, there's this incredible level of craft, his versatility, his range. Mm-hmm. It's a stunning, stunning career, all the more so in the circumstances. Um, I don't, like you're saying, like he could be so funny. I definitely laugh out loud when reading him too, especially like the most horrible of the stories. Mm-hmm. And then his letters are full of just him complaining about his bosses, like, you know, gossiping about his friends and just, I mean, telling obvious lies sometimes. Yes. <laughs> it's so recognizable and human. Um, for a genius on that level to be so recognizably human and even petty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Loved it. What's not to love, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, absolutely. So how long did it take you to write the book? It's it's funny because it doesn't look like a very big book and it's packaged like a very light read, Um, but it was a couple of years. Okay. I I had the experience in 2016. I wrote the essay in 2017 and then I sold the book in 2019 and it took me, I wrote the book in calendar 2020. So Mm -hmm. a year under my contract to finish it. Okay. That was an interesting year to be writing about how, because like the entire world went Mask of the Red Death. Yes. <laughs> all these, you know, interpretations. I remember reading newspaper editorials that reference Poe. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he he's always part of the atmosphere, I guess. But that was a particularly fruitful year for thinking about him, I think. And uh, I think he did. It did bring a lot of people kind of face to face with him unmasked rather than masked, you know, with the the COVID year and COVID year or two or whatever. And I know that like people that I worked with would, you know, cause knowing that how much I love Poe and they would bring things up and it's like, have you thought about this is like COVID's just like mask of the red death. And I'm like, yes, yes. I've thought about it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank you for sharing that. We'd have a nice conversation. <laughs> well, Absolutely. and on the same aspect of it, not just the mask of the red death, it was the, the historical aspects that Poe liked to bring into his stories because, and this is because I, I was teaching history at the time mm-hmm. and bringing up about how the black plague and all mm-hmm. of that and how, you know, the bells that they would hang in the, the cemeteries, you know, with the premature burial and all that kind of stuff and how he was very much a proponent of, bringing the societal norms of the time into his works mm-hmm. that they transcend over so many generations yeah. that 
it just hit upon how I kept telling the kids, history repeats itself. Mm-hmm. And yes, we learn. We learn little bits, but we never completely learn everything because it has to keep a revolution. It keeps yeah. going and going. And so the Mask of the Red Death was the perfect example in the pandemic of yeah. bringing in the society trends of the, you know, I hate to say it, the bubonic plague. Yeah. And most people think the bubonic plague is no longer in existence, but there are cases of bubonic plague every year. But it's just not as known because we've developed the antibiotics and we've developed the way to combat it. So it's not, you know, and we didn't kill all the cats like the Catholics did and you know, <laughs> make the rats rampant with their fleas either. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, but speaking of cat, sorry, Catherine. No, no, no. <laughs> but uh, with your book, and I, I, I'm going to admit, I haven't had a chance to read it yet because Carmen's harboring the copy. Yes, I've, I have read, read the whole thing it. and could not put it down. I, I really, I loved it. It was awesome. It was awesome. But, you know, so when she told, she told me the name and I looked up the book, I went, you know, it may be listed as humor, but it's just so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> because if anybody would know anything about the crap that we have to deal with in life, it would be at right. ground flow. Yeah. And the sad part is, is I think he never actually got to experience what his work truly meant to people yeah and I, and before and that just that makes me sad to yeah. know that he never understood it's kind of like with the painters that die before they actually get to see yes the experience of their art mm-hmm. and that's the way i look at edgar it's like i am so heartbroken to know yeah. that he did not he never once got even close to feeling what he is encompassing now in our society so it's such a profound question like does posthumous fame justify your suffering or just the hours you spend on it and i mean most of us will never achieve pose level you know but and yet we spend a large part of our time you know working on our on our on our stuff and i i i like the way that his life and work both ask and fail to answer that question about whether it's worth it. Maybe one life, one body of work couldn't. Mm-hmm. Maybe the question's just open, but it's humongous. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know where I even come down on that. It kind of varies by the day. Sometimes I think that the simple act of making the work, the creative act, is mm-hmm. that is where you're going to get any payoff. And there are payoffs involved. You know, the absorption that you have when you're working. Um, I think Poe too, having been such an, uh, an astute critic could understand wow. why his own work was good. So I think he pleased himself um, at, yeah. at least at moments. No one pleases themselves all the time. Yeah. But again, you're right. None of the money, none of the fame, none of the awareness of having this absolute global impact and being such a humongous picture, like not just in American literature, in Spanish language literature, French language literature. Yeah. He's a huge presence in Romanian literature of all things. So anyway, yeah, I, well, I feel like and, 
been. And I think um, you mentioned something about, you know, some days he may have been, you know, pleasing to himself with what he was writing, but he was constantly re-editing because there's so many versions of his work. Um, when we were uh, doing the birthday episode with Virginia and Levi, we decided we were like, well, let's let's find a, a positive poem to celebrate his birthday. And so we picked the happiest day. And the first version I found had Jeannie, was it six stanzas, I think? No, it had five. It had the five. Original, the original yeah. one had five, but then it was re-edited. And he had six. Had yeah. Had six. Yes. And so it was like, whoa, we've got to all use the same version. And we didn't realize it was that vast of a difference. And, yes. you know, we've noticed, you know, slight word changes or, you know, something like that. But it's like, oh, this this is quite different. And like, so that leads me. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Catherine. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, I was just actually going to ask about, you know, you introduced and I read about on your website how you uh, are a journalist and have you know, written articles for like the Wall Street Journal and other vast avenues, but the Wall Street Journal one always strikes me the most is because people, when they hear Wall Street Journal, automatically just think it's a bunch of stock, you know, <laughs> you know everything. <laughs> they don't realize how much is actually embedded within the Wall Street Journal. And it may not be, you know, riddled with all these pictures that you see in regular newspapers and everything but if you look at the actual articles they're just so in depth and so much about what's the world around us mm -hmm. so i was kind of curious is um one how long have you been a journalist mm. and two what types of articles have you kind of submitted for mm -hmm. these these journals sure you know it's been a sort of long road. Uh, my dad was a journalist, so I was always sort of aware of it. But he got out of newspapers in 1991, kind of seeing the writing on the wall. At that time, he worked in evening newspapers, and we all know what happened to those. Um, yes. So, I mean, I think as early as 1991, you can see that the business was going to be extremely troubled. And now, you know, as, as I became an adult, I was a college student in the early aughts, majoring in journalism. I just, even then, everyone kind of did realize that we're going to experience this massive change, but it wasn't really until 2008 where I think we started to see the die-off of publications. Mm -hmm. This was an incredibly fraught time to try to be working as a journalist, and one of the ways I tried to adapt was I've never worked full-time as a journalist. I always did it on the side on top of other jobs where I did marketing, copywriting, you know, writing ads, basically writing a marketing material and then doing the journalism on the side because I love it. But also knowing how unstable it is, I just kind of did it as a side hustle. So in 2008, I started um, writing for one of the newspapers in my hometown of Richmond. And I did that for a couple of years, just doing arts coverage. Um, I met them at a party or something, the editors, you know, and I sort of, you know, I'll file a story. Oh, do you want to let me write a thousand words about singing karaoke every night for a week or, you know, little <laughs> pieces. Fun. Um, and then at the time rates weren't terrible. You know, you'd make, you'd make a couple hundred dollars for each piece or sometimes you'd get paid yeah. $800. 
So I did it on the side for money because I really wasn't making a whole lot as a copywriter at the time. And then very slowly it grew into uh, pitching and getting stories with much larger publications. So, you know, you, I just started to write about, uh, you know, myself, sometimes personal essays were a very big thing in the 2010s on the internet. Yeah. Did some of that. And then uh, I did some local news reporting, some regional news reporting, um, nothing, I'm not straight hard news in the sense of working in a newsroom, but um, stories that weren't nearly as timely because I was doing it on the side, right? I couldn't yeah. be reporting daily news or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so local publications, regional publications, then eventually national ones. Um, it's interesting you say that about the journal because it's a controversial paper in my freelancer network. Mm-hmm. Not everyone agrees, especially like, but not commenting on that one way or another, their standards are incredibly high. Uh, I've never imagine. worked so hard. <laughs> they have the highest standards you're going to come across in, in the journalism world. And uh, their weekend review is incredible. Um, Adam Kirsch, the editor there, is an incredible, uh, he, he covers their, you know, uh, writing books, reviews, that sort of thing. He's mm-hmm. incredibly bright and good, intimidatingly so. Um, <laughs> But it was a long road. It took a long time to get to um, those levels. And I still, I pitch all the time. Like I, you know, suggest to an editor that I want to write X, Y, Z and you get rejected all the time still. It never stops. Yeah. But I, um, I wish I'd been born in a different era, but also Poe's era shows us, I mean, his journalism jobs were incredibly unstable. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> laid off and you know, his checks were late and all everything that a freelancer faces now he faced in the 1840s. So, and there's something comforting about that. Yeah. And I I was going to say a lot of movies even portray freelance writing as as the same. I mean, just all through the, the era of, you know, film, when you think about it. Well, any type of freelance work is Mm -hmm. very much difficult because it's a hit or miss. You yeah. have to follow the trends. You have to follow the times. You have to understand what will sell, what won't sell. Because it, it's like mm-hmm. you're marketing yourself yeah. along with what you do for a living. And I, as you said, I think that's one of the things that Poe did. Well, some systems, so some will, some not. But <laughs> like anyone. <laughs> yeah, like anyone. But him being critical in his magazines and stuff shows, as you said, how diverse and how, I'm going to say it too, a touch of a genius the man was, both on paper and off paper. Just, you know, just as a world round he could go. Mm -hmm. Uh, He talked about places that he probably maybe visited once or twice or never visited. He wrote about them. And, and yes, I kind of wish in some ways that we were in some of the, some of the times, like with the journals and with the newspapers of, I'm going to say like 30 or 40 years ago, at least, at least 40 years ago Mm -hmm. in some good, some bad, there's always going to be good and bad, no matter what, Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's even, even still a Dear Abby around today, but it's not, yeah. <laughs> but it's not as prominent in newspapers anymore. It's you see it as more as an online presence. Yeah. 
So, well, one thing I want to go back to is talking about when you were growing up in Richmond and Poe was taught as early as third grade in Tennessee, it's really around seventh grade. And so third grade, it just, it, I think some kids can handle it at that age. And I know I could have, if I was introduced with reading Poe then, um, we did not have it in our curriculum then, but, um, I'm just, I'm fascinated by that. And so you said the Raven is something that you guys read that young and what else did they teach around third and fourth grade? If you remember. Yeah. I have a very distinct memory of, it was in my fourth grade class on Halloween that Mm -hmm. my teacher had us put our, our heads down on our desks and close our eyes while she read the Raven out loud. Nice. And so we could experience it. And it's a poem that's so it's meant to be heard. Mm-hmm. It's so musical. It has these amazing like dark rhythms. Um, and it struck me, even though I obviously I'm not getting all the implications, all the complexities and how from a craft standpoint, how sophisticated it is. Yeah. You just hear it and you like it and you understand um, how articulate he's being about a sadness. I think that we all feel whether we've lost a particular woman or not. Yeah. So uh, that is probably my sheer earliest. I know I'd come across him. You just can't avoid him in Richmond. He's everywhere. He's in yeah. Maryland. There's a, <laughs> on main, literal Main Street. So, uh, and my parents were readers too. And my mm-hmm. I had a grandmother who was an English teacher. So oh, cool. we had a lot of books in the house. And uh, I think once I found him, the fact that he was talking about these dark things uh, really struck me as a kid because I was looking for someone to be honest with me about those things, I think. Um, so I just tore through. I can remember reading The Premature Burial. I can't believe I was allowed to read that, but I think my parents just weren't paying enough attention. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, the, all those, the Oblong Box, Cask mm-hmm. of Amontillado, you know, Murders in the Room Morgue, all of that. There's just something they're tremendously violent (laughs) and yeah oh my gosh yes especially rue morgue yes yeah yeah the violence it's crazy but it's also striking and memorable the way your attention as a reader is always very impressive too so Mm -hmm. anyway yeah i i think i just binged a couple of compilation or you know anthologies when i was a little kid okay oh interesting yeah. And I mean, and I can remember watching horror movies with my dad growing up and my, one of my brothers, especially, and I'm, I'm, and I was a reader and it's like, I wish I would have been exposed earlier to Poe's writings, but it was probably about sixth, seventh grade for me. So I was just, I always ask those kinds of things. Cause it just, that fascinates me. Fair. I mean, who knows? Maybe we would all have all turned out even weirder and less fortunately late that we found him. Who knows? That I'm kind true. of worried of thinking if I could have come turned out weirder. That might <laughs> That's true. Uh, but, yeah. That, Jeannie, but going that back is very to your, true. Yeah, I know. <laughs> going back to your uh, self, we're going to call it a self-help book. Yeah. Did, how well did it help you writing it i mean because i can see that 
the writing about it and seeing it from all sides, even though I can swear I haven't read the book yet, and I will, I promise. Yes, but, I've got to get it to her. <laughs> exactly. But just, you know, I know how difficult it can be to get things right. Like we were saying, we edit, re edit, rewrite, edit right <laughs> all this kind of stuff and you within a time frame you know you had a year you said to get it done mm -hmm. so what did you experience trying to get it put together exactly the way you wanted it and putting it as you know hey this is poe this is this is poe helping uh that's a really good question um always the one the thing I want to hear writers talk about, even if it's not specific to Poe. Mm -hmm. uh, so writing a, a book in a year is just hard to begin with because I was working full time. You know, a very few writers, you have Stephen King and basically no one else can make a living at it. So you have That's to exactly. do in addition to it. So I would just get up really early in the mornings. I was also pregnant with my first child. Okay. So that was interesting too. And I was having a kind of a rough pregnancy. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, the fact that someone was trying to come alive through me and was like consuming my body and so on, that was an interestingly poet-like experience. The yeah. tremendous pressure under which I, I mean, people write under greater degrees of pressure, but I felt like very under pressure at the moment Yeah, in between working full-time and trying to produce a book to somebody else's standard in a year. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, the tremendous pressure of that, the commercial pressure you feel to write a book that can sell you know, that people are going to like and review and, you know, rate and all the rest of it, all the things that have to happen now to have a career. And Poe experienced essentially those things too. So I felt very close to him, especially when I was up early in the morning and the, you know, world was still dark. Um, and it was just me and uh, me writing about him. So there were parts of it that were just amazing and transcendent. And I felt, you know, I was enjoying myself just tremendously working on it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was, a, it was an interesting creative challenge because you're trying to meld a bunch of different forms together. And, yeah. you know, there aren't tons of books in this genre like of taking Gothic writers and doing a self-help reading of them. But I will say that um, I thought Poe's examples of satire, uh, where he was both earnest and laughing at the form, and he was critical of the form at the same time that he's working within it. Mm -hmm. that's very inspiring to me and that's what I tried to do myself whenever I got lost mm -hmm. take the parts of self-help that are that you you know think are useful and good and why the form survives from year to year but then bring a critical lens to it and like add this edge of hysterical laughter to the entire project I don't know that's what I was trying to achieve and that was very much based on his example um and mm -hmm. it was tremendously fun to do I will say I can I can barely look at it now because like that word choice is terrible. That's the wrong <laughs> verb. <laughs> yeah, you know, you I think go back and reread things that you know you wrote like what a month ago. I know I do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Things I wrote just a month ago, and I look at it and go, "What was I thinking?" Yeah, that that doesn't belong there. That that. That could be written so much better. So, yeah. and we're, it's, it's we're our own worst critics, definitely. Exactly. Yeah. You know, why writers are tortured, or why artists are tortured, I think, is yeah. just because you would have done it. Now you can see how you should have done it perfectly. And 
particular. Yeah. Yeah. Cause th there's so many times it's like, I'll have an idea and then it's like, or it won't come to me. And then after, you know, Jeannie and I do something or I'm doing one of my own creative things. And then like two months later, I'll go, Oh, that's what I should have done. <laughs> it's like, Oh, I can redo, I guess, but then I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. and can you think that maybe um, thinking about it in that, that aspect of things that maybe Poe was um, being ridiculed even more by himself because he was not only a critic of his own work, but he was criticizing other works. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, and we know that we can see things that other people can't, or we, we view things differently. It's all about the audience too. Yeah. Between, you know, the self, the audience, uh, all those kind of things. So he could have been fighting his own demons while trying to fight the demons of being a critic himself. Yeah. That's, that's true. even worse. I think it comes through. I think you're dead right. Yeah. He struggles with the form openly, kind of. Um, and he certainly, I mean, struggled with it openly in conversations with friends, in his letters, and in, and in his uh, critical essays. He says a lot of things and then immediately doubles back and, you know, recants what he just said. And some of his theories become utterly, in my view, self-serving. And I'm not, that's not a term of criticism I'm using. Like, right, right. Self-serving worldviews. Um, yeah anyway yeah it's so it's really interesting and inspiring to watch him wrestle with that because it's what we all wrestle with even mm -hmm. if we're the level yeah. yeah and that's cool. the that's the crux of you know the crux crust of being an artist no matter what you do well no yeah. matter what the medium it is it is what it is like Carmen said earlier, we are our own worst critics. Mm -hmm. And in the aspect of we are our own worst enemies. So, yes. <laughs> they go so, hand in hand. <laughs> so are you working on anything else? Like yeah, Jeannie, you beat me to that. I was about to ask yeah, that. I knew you were about to come up. So I thought I'd beat you to it. You did. That's okay. Uh, I'm working on a horror novel that is set in Richmond. Uh, oh, nice. It certainly takes inspiration from Poe and some of his like incredible he's so good at describing these extreme physical states yes but I often re read him as an example because I don't feel that's a very difficult thing to do people you know maybe lay people or non-writers don't necessarily understand like how what it is to convey that amount of detail and to keep readers attention at the same time mm -hmm. and to keep tension taught um so yeah, that's what I'm working on now. It's very slow going. Also, when I wrote the first one, I didn't have a kid. Right. So it's going a lot slower than I would like. But hopefully, hopefully I do get there overall. It was my dream was to be a fiction writer. So okay. I'm hoping that I eventually get to like published novelist status. So, but we'll see. That's um, awesome. The difference with uh, novels is you write the entire thing and then you sell it. Whereas with a nonfiction book, you sell off a proposal. You don't have to write the entire book first. So it feels dicey to write yeah. an entire book without a contract. But we'll see, you know, what are you going to do but try? Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. Well, it sounds really interesting. And I know something that we would both love to read. So well, thank you. I hope we get yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. And if you you stick a little satire in there with the horror, 
you know, you, you've got us right there. Boom. Yes. There. Right? <laughs> That's the form I love too. So hopefully I can achieve it. If not, I'll just have um, spotted it in other people's work. Like you sometimes <laughs> well, yeah. Oh yeah. We'll, we'll help try to do our part and, you know, push it, push it and push I it. And say, hey, you gotta follow her. You gotta follow her. Absolutely. And uh, Poe, for your problems, I think you, I know you won one award. Was it two different awards you won or was nominated? We were a finalist for uh, the Library of Virginia's nonfiction award. It gets Katie Couric, which was awesome. I was proud of that circle. So, oh, cool. Yeah. So one of, uh, we were one of four finalists there and then we won the, um, the Saturday Visitor Awards at the Poe Festival. That's awesome. That is amazing. That is very That's where cool. I heard Lynn Cullen speak. Um, okay. Okay. Well, very cool. Well, Jeannie, what other questions do you have? Well, I'm, well, I asked her about what she has going on in the future. Mm-hmm. So I got that covered. Um, so I'm just trying to, you know, I don't think I can think of anything right this moment. So what do well, you have? Well, and I was going to say uh, one thing we always share out with our listeners and viewers. I always want to say watchers, but that just sounds creepy. But I guess that's very Poe-esque. So we'll go with it. <laughs> we're not, but, we're um, not stalkers, so that's good. <laughs> that's true. That is so true. Uh, but you've got your website we'll share out. And then what other social media platforms, if you want to share that out with, with our people? I have uh, Instagram. I'm not particularly good at that, but you can find me on Instagram, on Facebook, on okay. Twitter, all under Cat Bab Magira or Catherine Bab Magira. And you can find the book Amazon, Barnes and Noble, it, any independent bookstore is going to have it. Um, yeah, so I hope people check it out and it makes them laugh. If you have a dark sense of humor and you love Poe, then I think it's going to be in your lane. Uh, yes. I often get. The thing I've enjoyed so much about this project coming out in the world is that it connects me with incredibly like-minded people. Like we have this kind of personality. Yes. <laughs> if you get this joke, then, you know, we are going to be friends. So. I, I agree. And one thing we've mentioned multiple times with talking to, you know, as we call them Poe people, it's just the Poe community is so friendly and just, it's a, mm-hmm. it's like a little Poe family. And like you said, like-minded people and just kind of think in the lines of Poe and not just thinking about him as just a horror writer. He's so many, you know, levels on, you know, like a, you know, a onion, you know, breaking it down, peeling all hey, the world. It actually make you cry too. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so true. Yeah. Well, uh, Catherine, are you going to be at any um, events in the future? I know, like, we got to meet for the first time at the Poe okay. Fest last October. So I think I'll be back there. I've mostly got my head down. And for the first time in a while, I like, I'm just turning uh, speaking engagements down just because I'm trying to produce book too. Okay. Yeah. But I'll be at the Poe Festival in Baltimore. And usually I'm often at the one in Richmond if people want to try to find me there too. Okay, great. Great. Yeah. We're um, hoping to be also back at the Poe Fest in October as well. Okay. Yeah. We're only a booth away. So that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. That hopefully will be close. I know that um, Poe Movies was, we were right next to them the first year we, we were there two years ago and they were still not too far away. So yeah, it's, it's, it's cool seeing everybody. Agreed. Yeah. So Jeannie, anything else? 
Nope. I think that's got it covered except for what we always like to ask out of all of those stories and poems. What is your favorite and why? And And we always ask too, it could be you love a poem or story or you have one of each. So feel free to answer however. We all have like the same dilemma with trying to narrow it down, but uh, the man of the crowd is my favorite story. It's It's such a profound description of loneliness and, you know, feeling like a misfit. Uh, And at the same time, it's kind of a compelling adventure in its own right and an interesting take on cities and how we relate to each other. Mm-hmm. And then just the writing in it is incredible. The, there's a quote wow. from it that opens the book. It had to be an epigraph, but a, yeah, among the poems, that's like Sophie's choice. But Eulalu, uh, I love. That's there, a great one. My heart was volcanic. You know, I, I think that one has the like, a lot of post poetry have those incredibly like almost sick rhythms to them where yeah. you're moving toward a terrible conclusion. That one is just in- insane how well it works yeah. um, and how dramatic it is and almost like dramatic to the point of absurdity, which I love too. So uh-huh. I think it's so hard to say, but the, all right, today those were my favorites. Yeah, it, it is. It's hard to narrow them down because they're, they're all so good and for, for different reasons you know, of how and it can fit with whatever's going on in our lives at the time too. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So, well Catherine, Man of the Crowd is one of I want to say this. A man of the crowd is the one that we have not heard from anyone before. That is so true. Thank you for bringing that one out. Yes. Because I love that one not only just for the title, but the vision that it brings to mind. Mm-hmm. You know, I can see the artistry as he's writing it with that story. Yeah. And I can see a lot of people of that time period and their artworks as I'm reading it. So, mm-hmm. you know, thank you for bringing out that one. It's it's a very good one. And then people need to know that there's more than just the Raven and Telltale Heart. I, That's you know, not so that I'm not a fan of, but I love those two. Of course. Yeah. Oh, some of the cuts are just, are just stunning. Um, so, yeah. I hope people check out the man in the crowd because you can like any of Poe, you can read it in about 10 minutes. And it's yeah. just incredibly profound and also interesting to read. You know, is it like in a little thriller? So yeah, it really is. <laughs> It'd be exciting. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, Catherine, it has been a pleasure having you on the podcast. <laughs> having yes. me. I was just listening yeah. to the last episode before we got on the call. Oh, great. Yeah, right. it was okay. that was super cool. I'm convinced by what he said by two act structure. So people should uh <laughs> Look up that interview. I thought he was being very smart about what he was saying about structure and stories. Ari's great. We we had a great time with him talking with him as well. So, and he was at the Po Fest too. (laughs) I don't know if you got to meet him. I don't think so. I'll look for him next year. Yeah, he uh, he was nominated for a Saturday Visitor Award for Into That Darkness Peering. Yeah, so he'll he'll probably be back, and um, you'll really enjoy speaking with him. So. Yeah, but thank you again for uh, being on here. And Jeannie, are you We ready? are. Yep. We are. Po, po out. out.